Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're in uh, week fifteen-ish of our Corinthian series, so hopefully you guys are feeling like, okay, I'm getting a handle of this book. I kind of, I got a little bit more juice to go on this. So uh, Corinth is a combination of like Las Vegas and. San Francisco, it's a port city. All kinds of crazy things are happening there, right? If you're just joining us, we really set a foundation that these are real people at a real place in a real time in history experiencing what it look, feels like to be following Jesus. And so these, this, is the wild, this is the wild place. This, is the, this makes Vegas blush. And so as we enter into what uh, Corinth is like and why Paul would be talking to them the way that he's talking to them and what he's saying, he's speaking directly to a group of people. We have two of the four known letters that we have. So we're getting part of the conversation because uh, there's referencing of these other letters in here and you're like, well, where are those? Well, that's what we're like, yeah, where are they? And so we have a piece of this conversation as he's uh, diving into, you know, what is going on here. Um, as I kind of wanted to, to hit a couple pieces of the puzzle and, and a message, I've been praying about saying something. Uh, hopefully that I do that often. Uh, but I kind of got confirmation that I, I, I wanted to, to say this directly to all of our folks here and those uh, online. Um, and I called this lady that I love, and she's a light when she's here. She's just like, whoo, like the room lights up. And I was just calling her to tell her that I missed her. And I was like, hey, I just wanted you to know that I miss you. Miss seeing you because she's been out since COVID. And, and I didn't say anything. And she's like, Josh, I miss you too. I miss being at church with all these people. And she just, she's so transparent and so awesome. And she's just like, we've just gotten complacent and we'd like to watch church from home in our jammies or we'd like to watch church and we're just hanging out at home and I got to tell you from the people that have been coming back into the physical building with your physical brothers and sisters there's something about it I don't know about you guys but during worship today the hair on the back of my neck stood up I was like whoa Whoa, like the Holy Spirit is here uh, upon this place. And we're not to, so why would I want you to come back so we can have, first of all, if you're at risk or you're watching from a distance, you are right where you're supposed to be. This is nothing, nothing for that. But if you just have gotten comfortable hanging out at home, I want to, I want to call you back if you're in our local area. I want you to come back to the physical building. And here's why I want you to come back to the physical building, not because uh, of some number or any of those things. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so there's something here. There's something that's missing when you don't come into the facility. Now, when you're on vacation and you're having a fun time at the lake and you're out there camping and you're doing all the things that we get the privilege of doing in the, in the Northwest, take advantage of it. We understand that. We get it. Like, I'm not, well, well, where was Carrie? Looks like she wasn't here this last, oh, on vacation, not faithful. no. No, enjoy the outdoors, 
you know, watch online when you can and do all those things. Enjoy all that stuff. But if it's just become a habit where you're just hanging out at home, I think, and again, this is for the folks that are not at risk. This is, this is for the folks that are not, not far away. If like, okay, why don't you drive them from McCall every Sunday? No. Um, but if you're in the local area, come here and experience God's people in a mighty powerful way. God might have a uh, divine appointment for you. There are new people that are coming into our community, into our church, and they come in here, and you might be the person that God has chosen to select to connect to them because you have so much in common with them, and you didn't know that. And so to be here and to come back, not because we're trying to fill up a room of people. We still have 200 seats out of here missing. You guys are like, really? Yeah, we're still six feet apart, right? Uh, All of those things, but to come back. Come back for God's purposes because we don't want to forsake the gathering and we want to be able to encourage each other. So, all of that, that was not in line with where I was going, but I had it written down. Uh, come back, baby, come back. No, I won't sing for you either. All right, bad songs, submit. Are you guys pretty impressed with your sermon notes today? You guys like those so far? Tells you where my, yeah, I know. <laughs> She's like, tells you where my where my head was. I've been wrestling quite a bit with this message and how to uh, share it with great compassion and great love. And like, what does God want for his people to hear about this particular passage of scripture and what does it mean? And where does it lead? And all of those things. One thing that I've observed about pastors, um, in my 26 years of being a Christian lead servants in my 11 years of being in ministry full time is you go on a journey with your pastor you go on a journey with them because they're being molded and educated and changed and they don't have it all figured out, obviously. They don't have it all figured out. And so they're going on a journey and there's so many things that are coming at all of us, not just your pastor, but so many things that are coming at all of us from an information standpoint. More and more things influence how I think. Where a pastor gets their information from, who they read What podcasts are they listening to? The information dump is bigger than ever before in our lives. That's another thing about coming back to the church. If you're looking for the best sermon and you just want to hang out at home and watch the best sermon, this is not the one. I am not the guy. There's so many people I love watching online. I'm like, that guy's so awesome. I wish I could be like him. He's such a great teacher. He's, is that what we come to church for is just so we can hear like the greatest teachers ever because this place would be empty if that's what we're coming here for. We're coming for community. We're coming for connection. So there's so much influencing. This week alone, I listened to three different books, not all of them, but uh, chunks of three different books. I read another book. I had three different podcasts. I listened to four sermons, and I even managed to squeeze a little time in with this guy, the actual word of God. I say that jokingly. It was more than a little time, right? Let's hope so. There's a lot of information coming at me for sure. And so... Uh, as we dive into this, just know that this is, uh, for me, it's a heavy topic. So let's just dive in. I want to actually uh, jump in to uh, probably most of you ladies, uh, probably your favorite life verse that you have uh, written down in your books. And that goes like this. Uh, women should remain silent in the churches. <laughs> They're not allowed to speak or laugh. But they must be in submission, as the law says. 
If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, because they're smart. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Thank you, ladies, for not disgracing this church this morning and not speaking at all. Or, I've appalled this quick transition here, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, what's a therefore? Because of what I just said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Time out! Didn't he just say shut up to the sisters? Where would you prophesy at? Would you only prophesy in a church? What is he talking about? Hey, has any guys ever tried to shush your wife recently? That's a bad idea. That's a bad, that's a, that's a bad idea. Carrie and I were talking in a high volume zone, uh, uh, way last couple weeks ago, and I was like, wait, sh- sh- sh-, and I tried to, didn't work out good for me. Like you could wake up with a nod in your head, right? So he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. So what does prophesy mean? If you go back to Greg's sermon, by the way, I'm gone for two weeks, and we have Greg and Logan preach. Who's excited about that? That was great. That was great. If, uh, Greg did a great job. I was listening to that message online uh, since I was on vacation. And then I came back, and I was here on Sunday, but I didn't want to prep for a, a, a message the week right when I got back for the message. So we had Logan teach on that. And if, you're, if you've got kids in this church that are 6th to 12th graders, you should be pretty excited because he did a great job, and, and that guy's passionate, and he adds a lot to our sermon club as well. And so I just want to thank both of those guys for sharing their hearts and preaching great words uh, from the stage. So, um, but uh, prophesy, again, means to speak or to write by divine inspiration. So to speak, and this all goes into order. Paul is still hanging on to like the order of service and what's going on here, and he's diving in. And so obviously we could take this text out of context and just... But do you think that's what Paul is all about when you read his text? When you dive into the context of everything that he's about, is he trying to empower and lift up women, or is he trying to smite them and shush them? It seems a little bit of a conflict, doesn't it? Because he just says three verses later that brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, be eager to speak, be eager to speak or write by divine inspiration. And do not forbid the speaking of tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. He's talking about the order of this church, specifically to these folks and the way things are going on. There's 12 pages of riveting debate in one of the books that I was given to help understand this. If you just read this 900-page book, you would understand how you're supposed to understand these, these, this issue, Josh, of women's roles. And then if you read this, and 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 if you get buried in all these books and podcasts and everybody's telling you how you should think, then you will know what to do. Or, thank you for your input. Lord, where are you leading our church? Lord, where are you leading me to lead our church? 
debate. I was, I was trying to think of this. There was this, this book that was debating. They were these two guys that dedicate their life. Like this is their life's work as Pauline studies. They are doctorates and professors at these universities. And uh, these two guys are just going, kapom, kapom, kapom. And I'm like, where have I heard this one guy named Craig Keener? Why do I know that name? And I looked in the front of my Bible and he's the New Testament editor of my NIV cultural studies Bible disagreeing with this other guy. So obviously you're going to understand it all completely clear from Josh Gray when the experts can't agree on it. So at some level, you got to come to the table and be like, all right, put your cards on the table. What do you think? And let me ask you this question. Don't go off of what I think. You read the text. You dive in. You do the research. You form an opinion. You use this amazing three-and-a-half-pound brain that God gave you to discern and to dive in and look at this. And see where God takes you. So as we look at that text within uh, this backside of this Corinthians 14, we're like, okay, what are you saying, Paul? What are you saying? So you're, you're not really saying that women shouldn't be quiet in church. Is it cultural? Is there something cultural going on here? And you'll find that I was, uh, one of our sermon club uh, guys was talking about a, a book he was listening to, and this missionary was in the Middle East in the 50s. And he was at a church, and there was this, uh, he was at a Christian church, and on the right, this side was all men, and on this side was all ladies. And they separated, and they sat uh, ladies and guys. And in that culture, at that time, something is shared from this Christian church, and these ladies over here are like, <laughs> like they're trying to figure it out. I think what Paul is getting at, and this is a foundational cool thing. He's like, ladies, learn. I give you per like Paul, the bullheaded, you know, chauvinist, like beat you down, like like women are no, no. Paul is like, learn. Learn. And the ladies at that time would be like, we get to? We're included? Does Paul include everybody anywhere else? Does he talk about inclusion of men and women and being equal somewhere in Galatians and neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile? And he, is he starting to include the entire body? Be quiet so you can learn in that culture. And then I want you to prophesy two verses, three verses later. I want you to speak. So the reason why your notes are messed up is because I was messed up this week as I was diving into this. Not messed up. I was just digging deeper. So let me go to the other lady's favorite life verse by your favorite author, Paul, talking to the church in Ephesus. First Timothy, I know you guys all have this in your Bibles written down as your life verse, ladies. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I, who's I? Paul. I, Paul, do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. What are you doing again, Paul? You know why she must be quiet? For Adam was formed first, 
then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So you got to be quiet in church and you can't teach because of Eve's sin. If we deduce what he's saying here. But good news, ladies, you'll be saved through child, uh, childbearing if they continue in their faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Hey, Paul, what happens if I can't have kids? Am I going to hell? Says the lady. Hey, Paul, when you said that I was supposed to go learn from my husband, but then in chapter uh, seven, you said it's better for me to not marry. Hmm. Is there more to dig in here? Are your, is your interest peaked? Do you want to read a 900-page book? Do you want to read the other authors? What is the overarching narrative we would see in the scriptures? What is Jesus fighting for through all of the scriptures? Do we have a God of exclusion or a God of inclusion? Do we have a God who's passionate about it, equipping people. And here's the struggle that I observe with this in the church world here is, well, men must become less so women can become more. How many of you ladies in here want your men to become less? Less masculine, less of a leader, less of a studier of God's word, less of a, less of a, a good father, just, just, just a mouse away and let you run everything. No, no. And when we talk about men, authority, your authority over your wife, you should be domineering. You should put her down because that's what, no, that, that is not what Jesus Christ says. You are to love your wife like Christ loved the church and to care for her and nurture her, not because she's a horrible, weak human being or she can't do things. You are to raise her up. You are to, to wash her with the word of God. And so when you think about the, the overarching narrative of the text, what is, what is God doing with men and women? Do you need to become less so they can become more? No. Are we, are we here to com, uh, compete with each other? Is that the best? Is, is women and men just competing with each other in the household? Or are we here to complete each other? It's not good for man to be alone. Even though he's walking in the garden with God. What's wrong? What is missing? What did God notice is missing from man? Woman, like, there's something incomplete there. So there's women leadership all over the Bible. Women who held positions of leadership. And some folks will be like, oh, it's just in the Old Testament. All right, let's, let's walk through that. Let's walk through some of the Old Testament leaders. How about Miriam? How about Deborah? How about Huldah? God chose to have those women lead and lead powerfully. 
Paul, this guy who's telling women to be quiet, he, uh, he talks about Phoebe is called a deacon or a servant in the church and is highly commended by Paul. Paul thought highly enough of Junia, a woman, and her co-labor, Andronicus, excuse me, and uh, he commended them both, noted noted among the apostles. Wait a minute. This great debate about Junia and how the name was changed and it's a guy or a gal, and and as the deeper, the deeper the scholars look, they're like, it was a girl. It was a lady. That really messes up what we've been trying to do here. Just look at Romans 16, personal greetings. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in uh, Chetria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. Because she's so subservient below you and she shouldn't speak and she's, she's nothing. That's why you should give her anything she needs. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla's the girl. She's listed first. That means something. My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Verse 6, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Greet uh, Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have uh, been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. So if you're not like confused, well, wait a minute, like doesn't God's word clearly teach that women should never preach in a church? You're going to have a lot of rectifying to do with those scriptures. So there's a lot of things to put together there of how that is true or not true. And I would encourage you to dive into that amazing, fun opportunity of a debate. Again, as I read the overarching narrative of the gospel, I see Jesus empowering all of his followers, male and female to teach and preach the gospel with passion, love, mercy, and grace, just as I try to. Where's the church? Didn't we talk about the church before? The church is a building, right? This is the only place that preaching would ever happen. This is the only place that teaching would ever happen is in this building. Or did we just talk about the church of the, the Holy Spirit that indwelled in you when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and he is with you now? The temple resides in you. Did we not talk about all that stuff recently? That where your two feet go, your message goes, and you prophesize. What is the church? You're the church. But only half of you can talk. I don't think that's what he meant. So, Josh, your position, what do you think? I believe women can speak and teach in a church because I understand that the church to be people of God who follow Jesus into the world. By the way, the elder board is on the same page with this. This is not Josh Gray's almighty decision. Like our board uh, is in the same, same spot on this. Uh, I also believe that that the gathering of the church occurs wherever uh, believers gather whether it's two or three people around a dinner, in a living room, coffee shop, larger gatherings, this building. You know, you get messages that are highly influenced from ladies every week. 
We have two ladies currently in our sermon club. And they are amazing content researchers, providers, finders, all of those things. Uh, One of them doesn't really care if she ever preaches or doesn't really desire to. Uh, The other one is willing. Every week you get awesome learning from ladies. It just happens to come through my mouth. So when it comes to the pulpit, I'm not worried about male or female, but about the heart of every communicator. So in the future, if we have ladies uh, teaching from the stage, it's not because we, we haven't done any homework. It's not because we don't understand uh, 2 Timothy, verse 12. Uh, and I'm not saying that we have the definitive answer because the, the experts don't agree on this. I'm just telling you where it's letting me and our elder team. Now, that being said, I have a group of people that are preachers and speakers that happen to be men majority. So it's not my like mission to like, yes, it's going to be 50, 50 equal all the time. Nope. I'm going to preach about 35 times a year. Thank goodness. Adam's going to preach about 10 times a year. That's 45. How many Sundays are there again? 52 plus I got to do Christmas, whatever day that falls on. So there's about seven messages a year that happen that in our current church setting right now, uh, where, you know, where there would be something different happening. You know, uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a next-gen service in September, and it's going to be uh, Logan and Laura up here sharing. So we could have team preaching and all those things, but I just want you guys to be aware kind of just where I'm sitting on this. And I don't, I don't know how to say this and not be rude. I don't need any more information. Um. Uh, I got, I got lots of that. I don't have it all figured out. I know that this is something that some people may disagree with or not disagree with. I don't think it's a salvation issue for us. There's lots of things we could look at Scripture and be like, well, you see it that way, I see it this way. Let's go talk to people about Jesus. Um, so I'm fully accountable for who preaches off this stage. I'm held accountable for the messages, which is why I was really excited about the last two weeks. We had great messages. I'm held accountable for the teaching that comes off of a stage. Me learning how to manage a pulpit is, is an education, is a ride that you guys have all got to enjoy and go on. Well, some of you didn't enjoy it, but we've got to go on. And so I'll, I'll be accountable in front of the Lord for what was taught from here, for the mistakes that I did or didn't make. Um, and I'm willing, to, I'm willing to do that, but that's just kind of the way that I see it as we come to Christ. And I don't take that lightly. I'm learning and growing all the time, but that's just kind of where I am. And as I see these texts, I hope that 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 inspires you to do some more homework in there. Is there a Greek style of teaching that Paul is doing here that he's talking? Why does he say or right after that for women disgracing the church or did the word of God originate with you? What does he mean by that? That's a weird transition. And so diving in and learning the style that Paul is teaching and understanding what the text says, you know, don't just take my word for it. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. Dive into it and wrestle with the text yourself. So uh, I want to take this time for us to, to go come together as a body uh, and take communion together. Uh, if you don't have it, Ron's coming over here with some communion. You can raise your hand. If you are new here, here's the cool part about this. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, we want you to join in with us. We want you to break bread with us, uh, and, and we're proclaiming who he is and how he loved and what he's all about. Um, 
If, you're, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. The second most important decision is if you get married, who you marry. The first one is your walk with the almighty creator, God. I got the privilege of going to a brother's house this weekend and we watched the moon rise from this beautiful spot in Genesee and we got to see it come through the smoke and it was blood orange and then it had three different colors on it as it's transitioning out of the smoke and then it gets up there and it was so bright and I just marveled at God's creation. I marveled at a creator who would create something like that for me to admire his creation. And let me tell you what God thinks about you. He thinks you're amazing. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants you to be engaged with other people. He wants you to chew apart his word. He wants you guys to disagree, but not disagree and be mad and throw each other out, but disagree and, and wrestle and, and agree and, and wrestle and open the words. But what about this? But what about that? Oh, let's run back over here. What does this say? He wants you to be as passionate about his message to you as he is about you. And so... If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, after this, uh, this next song, we'll have people up here to pray with you. But we would love to talk to you about that. That is the most important decision you can make. It will define the rest of your life and beyond. But for those of us who come to the table today, let's come to it with a heart of thanksgiving. Let's come to it to bring people together, to move the kingdom forward in a mighty powerful way. So on the night he was betrayed, he held up that bread And when he had given things, he broke it. I want everybody to break it. Break your bread. He broke it. I want you to think about our Lord and Savior. And his sacrifice to bring the power of his word, the power of his love to this earth so we could chase him with reckless abandon. We could chase who our God is and learn more about him. And he brought it through his son. He broke the spread. And he said, this is my body. This is for you. When you do this, remember what I'm about. Let's remember what our Savior's about. In the same way, after uh, supper, he took this cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you, you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are doing something. You are all in here proclaiming who you're going to follow. You are all in here proclaiming that this is your moral compass, not what the world says. Let's proclaim it. Father God, I just ask for your hand upon our body as we seek to uh, pursue you in a mighty way. Let us be pursuers of you and your word and your text. Let us rise up together. Let us have a place where we're encouraged, where there's a future and a hope for men and for women, united in creation the way you intended it so we can point to you. So we can point the world to you and what you look like and what you operate like and who you are and how you value and how you love. 
Father God, we just dedicate this time to you. We just ask for your hand upon us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.